You're listening to Dirty Feet, a podcast from No More Radio. Vous écoutez le podcast Dirty Feet sur les ondes de No More Radio. Hosted by, animé par, Alison Burns, J.D. Papillon, et Stéphanie Morin-Robert. Stay tuned. We're going to move you. Welcome to the first ever joint podcast uh, collaboration between Dirty Feet and I Don't Get It, which is a dance podcast based here in Edmonton, where we are currently uh, hanging out and visiting the Fringe and uh, covering that and uh, exploring dance in this wonderful city, in this wonderful province, so far away from our home in Montreal. Uh, and we are so pleased to be here with Fonda and Paul. And uh, thank you guys for, for agreeing to sit down with us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. And for our I Don't Get It listeners who have not heard of uh, dirty feet before. Who are you? What? And you're from Montreal. You've already said that. <laughs> yeah, we're we're a dance podcast based in Montreal. We've been in existence since uh, December 2012. So we've been hanging around. This is uh, we're we're in like 92 episodes in as we speak at the Edmonton Fringe. We release an episode a week, uh, about an hour long, but sometimes less, sometimes more, depending on who we're talking to. We do a lot of interviews with choreographers. We've uh, organized a few roundtables, which are always very exciting. Uh, we talk about a lot of different varieties of dance, but we do concentrate on contemporary. Myself, Alison Burns, uh, I'm a contemporary dancer, choreographer, and producer, uh, and a podcast host, obviously. And uh, I went to Concordia University, as did my co-host here. Yes, Stephanie Morin-Robert, and I'm also living in Montreal, originally from Timmins, Ontario. So watch Ooh. out, Shania Twain, karaoke singers. It's a challenge. Um, so, yeah, I'm also a choreographer, uh, performer, and uh, writer, and storyteller, and we kind of... Uh, Um, I think the, this podcast is kind of a, an opportunity for us to step away from our own work and open our minds a little to see what other people are doing and, uh, yeah, and influence our work as well, right, to, to see where the creative processes are coming. So we're excited to have you guys here and, and to discuss about dance, which we kind of both do in our own provinces. And now here we are drinking a glass of wine or a beer and let's do this. <laughs> yes, we are actually doing this live from the North Beer Tent at the Edmonton International Fringe Festival. I think it's day five now, Monday? Day sure, 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 yeah, day Paul's four. Paul's eyes are crossing. He has no idea what day it is. He's in a show this year. Um, uh, we have had been having a great time. I've seen a few dance shows already. Um, yeah, anyway, I guess uh, for the Dirty Feet listeners out there, um, my name's Fonda Mithrush. I've been a dance writer in Edmonton for a number of years. Uh, largely due to my assigning editor, Paul Blinov, here from View Weekly. Um, we started this podcast about a year ago, um, and we've just, uh, with the premise that... Um that I don't know much about dance. And I've been assigning these stories to Fonda for years, and she sort of had this idea of sort of pairing together with someone who, who knew dance and was well-versed in being able to talk about it and write about it, and someone who had no idea about it, hence I don't get it. The I in that sentence is me. Um, <laughs> But no, I've had so many similar conversations with people um, over the years just saying, you know, yes, I write about dance, we want to come see a show, and they're like, I don't know, maybe I won't get it. It doesn't matter, just come see the show. And we'll talk about it. And that's, um, that's kind of where the conversations all lift off from for, for us on the podcast. And now we get to talk to you, too. <laughs> I had a bit of a moment where the, we got tweeted at, and, and 
I thought that we were tweeted, I don't get it, after requesting to get an interview. And I was kind of out of the loop and just like reading diagonally. And it was like, well, what don't they get? We just want to hang out and talk about dance. Sorry, I don't get it. I don't. <laughs> and I, was, I, don't and I was, and was like, no, that's the name of their podcast. <laughs> oh, okay. And then I was like, all right, okay. <laughs> and then I got it. See, made you think a little bit more. That's the point. That's the point. <laughs> and and uh, Fonda, you were telling me briefly about about why you know so much about dance and and what your your kind of relationship is with dance. Uh, well, I, I was a, I did a, diff- a bunch of different forms of dance as I was growing up and in high school and in university. In university, I studied a little bit of contemporary dance theory and history. So um, I really do enjoy um, seeing seeing new groups from around you know around the country and around the globe that end up coming here and being able to just actually interview them and talk to, talk to them about what they do has been, always been one of my favorite things about arts writing which doesn't pay much but you do kind of you know get into shows and talk to very cool people so uh, that's always been one of the fun things about it yeah I definitely feel like I get paid in tickets and like wine at the yeah. Vernissage <laughs> evenings and you're like okay <laughs> and I love this format the I don't get it format and the whole concept of being less pretentious and kind of trying to to bring dance to people who are afraid of it and uh, do you feel like with contemporary dance these days like is that is that growing that fear of dance is it shrinking Ooh, um, I guess I feel like it's fairly it's fairly stagnant if anything it hasn't really changed um, which is the problem I think is that people um, sort of have a preconceived notion uh, self-included uh, before I started doing this about what dance was and what it sort of entailed seeing a show um, and so, and so, the more I've seen, and the more I've I've just sort of taken a chance for for better and worse. There've been shows I've been really blown away by, and shows I've sort of still been like, I I really didn't get it. Yeah, that's still a, a real thing. Um, but it's sort of expanded to how I how I can look at art and how I can look at other art forms, um, and just um, appreciating movement for for what it is. Uh, as far as the the problem uh, goes, I guess it's getting people to take that first step. It's getting them to pay $20 for a ticket or maybe more um, to see something that they already sort of have a preconceived notion about um, that they might end up really liking no matter no matter sort of what their background or experience but it's getting them to take that first step I think is the is the challenge uh, right now because in Edmonton at least there's a lot um, there's a lot of dance the scene seems to be growing there's a lot of good conversation sort of circling around it and sort of new groups emerging uh, which is great, and now it's hopefully going to translate to an audience that will will grow in the same way. Yeah, we've had an interesting sort of history of dance culture here in Edmonton, even just in the last ten years. Um, our major professional dance training um, program shut down about ten years ago at Grant McEwen, and we had a lot of dancers that moved away, um, and now they're coming back after receiving professional training elsewhere, places like Winnipeg, and they're starting their own groups, uh, places like the Good Women, um, that kind of thing, and it's it is very interesting to see there is there is definite Edmonton aesthetic I think that's kind of coming out of it. Uh, which I really enjoy. Like I, I, I come to the fringe for the same reason for theater. You know, you see artists starting out and experimenting, and years later, when they're on main stages and getting programmed uh, with with the big companies, um, that's you know that's kind of what it's all about. So 
Edmonton has kind of seen a little bit of a renaissance, I think, in dance in the last couple of years. And it's, uh, I think us starting the podcast actually was almost at like the perfect time because there was just like an influx of things for us to talk about. And even now we have new groups like Toy Guns starting up that are um, kind of really blowing people's minds and doing really different, fun, interesting things. And I think with the podcast, what we want to just be able to do is instead of maybe asking someone to pay $20 first to see a show is listen to people talk about a show and just have fun and not have to be like super academic and analytical about it, but also just, you know, have a good time. You know, we, we tend to have fun conversations. You're funnier than I am, Paul, but, (laughs) um, we, you know, we, we tend to just like do it for fun. We don't actually, we're not employed by anyone for the podcast. We just, we just do it for thrills <laughs> for, for thrills and for the love do you find so what do you find in Montreal how do you find the conversation around dance right now um, I think it's it's kind of it's interesting because there's parts of me that, that oh it's you know dance in Montreal it's super accessible and, and anyone could see dance and there's, there's dance whether it's in the fringe or whether it's in um, the FTA which is, which is a huge uh, physical theater festival and um, there's, there's a lot of it and it's accessible but yet again I find the community could be somewhat closed so it's, there's, there's clicks right so there's within the contemporary dance field within that there, there are clicks, and within the clicks, there are clicks, and it's kind of challenging and and overwhelming to try to find where you belong within that, and um, I guess hosting uh, Dirty Feet is kind of a way in, even though you're not necessarily involved in the work with these people, or um, not performing, or not uh, creating work. Well, it, it allows you that that kind of foot in the door to 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 pick their brains or to, to kind of ask questions about how, how it's going. Um, but Montreal, I feel like there's a lot going on. Um, and uh, I think me personally, I'm, I'm mostly interested in making dance as accessible as possible. Whether And, and that's why this, the, the, the concept of your podcast is just like perfect for me because especially in this, this fringe setting, um, example like today, I'm flyering somebody to see our show. Like, come see our show. And they're like, um, oh, but I, I don't know dance, you know, I, I, dance isn't for me, or um, if there isn't a storyline, I won't enjoy it, or I, I won't understand it, and there's all these questions, and people think that you need some kind of education or some kind of background to be able to appreciate and, and, and get something from it. Um, so I think uh, by presenting work in the French, I guess I'm interested in that, in the accessibility, and also just by having podcasts like this where people could listen and and get something out of it even though they haven't necessarily seen the work you're talking about um so for me that 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 would be kind of where i find myself within montreal and um there are a lot of classes a lot of you know opportunities to do training and that's also something that could be intimidating or very welcoming depending on what click you're going to so I'm not sure if it's like that in Edmonton or how it works as far as um, the dance community and where um, where you guys find yourself or is it more of an you know you invite people in or do you feel like you're really a part of that community? Um, I think uh, for us there's sort of like a willful disconnect there's sort of a bit of an arm's length like both of us are, are journalists and writers first I yeah. mean Fonda has a lot of has a history of dance I don't um, and I think because uh, we do criticism as well we've done some interviews but we also do sort of talk about how we felt about things for better and worse 
um, and that can be uh, very difficult uh, sometimes if you if you know the people involved. Um, just sort of generating that level of, of honesty. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't always come out. Well, that bridge of of uh, the community, the dance community, sometimes is so small mm. or closely knit that you know everybody involved, and here you are watching their show. And you need to write something about it. And, and how do you manage that? Because I, I know that I've been, like, interested. And I'm like, I want to write. I want to write reviews. And then right when it comes to the moment of actually doing it, that's when I'm like, I can't. I went to school with this girl. And we, like, did this workshop together. Mm-hmm. And, and, oh, my God. And, I, and that, would, would that mean that I think my work is better? And, it's like, and then I get panicky. How, do, right. you, how mm-hmm. do you manage that, like, reviewing shows that you know the people? If I could just sneak in, first of all, because I, I just want to say that we owe an explanation to perhaps some Dirty Feet followers who realized that we stopped reviewing shows a little while ago before actually Stephanie joined the podcast. Because J.D. Papillon and myself and Joanie Farrand, who was an, uh, an old uh, host of ours, we used to review shows and we definitely found this discomfort. Uh, I think it was around the time that, uh, that we... Uh, I was programmed in Stephanie's work at Tangente, and it was like, how can I pro- how can I review, how can I judge my peers, and still call them colleagues and peers? Wow, wow. So, um, was there a specific instance or something that happened that caused you to stop reviewing? But that's it. It was it was just being in the same programming as as another artist that I was asked to review, and I and I declined at that moment and then we got less and less enthusiastic about reviewing work until we stopped altogether and I see I see so much benefit for myself personally and for the community to have reviews being written by people who know about dance but it is such an uncomfortable place and I need to feel that I'm not actively part of the industry if I want to do that yeah yeah I think um I think there's absolutely like um some level of disconnect is good but also I think one thing that's helped us is I think in Edmonton, uh, the scene was really craving it. The dance scene really wanted criticism. Uh, the paper uh, I edit and, and found the rights for View Weekly um, previously had run dance criticism, but we'd stopped uh, a few years ago. Uh, the Edmonton Journal, sort of our, our flagship daily paper in town, uh, does reviews, but not everything. Um, so, so I think we'd gotten a letter um, from from a group of dancers uh, about a year before we started this podcast, who were asking. They'd sent this to all the different media in town, and they were asking about uh, the possibility of reviews and criticism. So, I think to an extent, the scene has to want that as well. Um, and and also, yeah, I mean, having someone outside, finding someone who can uh, do that, who isn't so uh, connected within the scene, who isn't, you know, reviewing a person they might end up working with in four months or two years or something um, is important and helps and, and sort of helps when maybe the scene and the, the, the community and the dialogue about dance grows. Um, it would be it'll be interesting, I guess, to see how it changes over the next couple of years as we keep doing this, and hopefully, as other other media outlets pick up more dance, um, if there is a greater criticism, or if that uh, if it sort of stays at the level it's at now. And I think you kind of bring up a really interesting point about. Um uh, the community reviewing itself um, and dance dance coverage and dance reviews by dancers for dancers because there's sort of an assumption that a review is for the for the artist as feedback but it's not a review is generally for the general public and the audience and I think that that's something that we on on I don't get it um, 
people people have a way in with a, with the podcast because maybe they don't get it and they just want to like listen to a podcast that speaks about something that they don't understand that will enlighten them a little bit and it's not sort of just talking to its own community about 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 what they do it's kind of trying to open it up a little bit more and give a way in um that i think that i think is really important to realize and and you know as hard as I know as it would be, and I mean, like, let's say, you know, someone eventually said, you know, as reviewers, you all have to review each other, which I know you've done, Paul, for the Fringe. <laughs> um, it, it is hard to review your peers, and it is hard to be um, called out like that. But in, in all honesty, I've seen the dance community here so interested in actually giving each other feedback. A lot of the event dance events that happen in Edmonton are salon style or um, the good women what cooking style where they actually ask for and request feedback at the show. And I think that that is a great forum and that's a good indication of the community being really healthy and honest with each other. And so, you know, I hope that I hope that in Montreal, you guys, you know, someone will get out there and just start talking about it because it's important. That's how that's how people get their way in, get their foot in the door and then start paying for tickets eventually. When you're talking about um, reviewing a show for the general public to kind of give them an idea of, of what to expect or to give them a window in. I mean, we can objectively say that there's some dance out there that's not good and that it wouldn't be productive for the industry for people to go to assume that it is good and go see it and not enjoy it mm -hmm. how do you na navigate that if that right. falls in your lap you have to be honest with your audience because if they lose a trust in you as as whatever you consider yeah, your your outlet to be um, then they're just not going to believe you when you say the show is really good or when it's really bad and that can be hard there's been some shows we've seen this year that were like Ugh, we we got to be honest with that like it didn't it didn't achieve what it seemed to set out to do um which can totally be hard um my background is in theater criticism and there have been totally times at the fringe when i've been reviewing shows and it's not a very good show and then a friend walks on stage who i didn't know was in the show and you go oh no uh i have to be honest um uh and then you do you sort of have to be honest and uh and I have found people to be fairly forgiving. Typically, people know um, when something isn't maybe where they want it to be. Um, so I think they're, that 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 honesty isn't expected or isn't unexpected, rather, um, and can be beneficial. It's just like, yeah, this this didn't get to where we wanted it to be. It doesn't mean you have to be mean, but you you do have to be honest. I think I find, um, and and if you do that, and if you try and make sure that you're being honest um, in a way that is objective. Uh, in looking at, like, what were they trying to do? Did they achieve that? Was it worth it that they achieved that? Um, usually that framework can be very, very helpful in sort of uh, negating the potential fallout of that. Uh, and hopefully we'll just bring a greater dialogue then if people are like, well, this is, this is what we thought, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Well, there's something interesting about kind of breaking the, the that wall between audience and, and the performers of um, not only wanting them to enjoy the show, but also asking them for feedback after a performance, as you mentioned, with Good Woman that they've been doing. Um, with with all of these tools and all of this, this experience that you've gathered while kind of, you know, 
diving headfirst into the dance world, do you find that your eye uh, while watching theater has changed? Because Ooh, there's a lot, a lot of question. physical theater coming out and around, and, and definitely popular. Whether it's, um, I don't know if you watch circus as well, but there's there's such a huge realm of of, of theater being physical and, and mm -hmm. movement being involved. Do you feel like you're more, a little more strict now? I think I think I expect more in mm. some way. It's where maybe maybe two years ago. Um, a little bit of movement in a show would have been impressive in, in sort of keeping things physical. But now it has to be, um, because I'm sort of more attuned to it, I've seen more of it. Um, I, I've gotten used to watching uh, dance, which does feel different. It's a different mm -hmm. sort of uh, theater. It's looking at, it's not so reliant on narrative. It's adjusting to just watching movement and being okay with nothing happening in air quotes, which no one on this podcast can see. Um, but realizing that like, yeah, things are happening. And if you're not like, so tethered to the idea of a storyline in the traditional sense, you'll still pick up on things. You'll still pick up on all these changes, um, you know. But it's, uh, yeah, it's different. It's, uh, it's definitely different, I think. I appreciate uh, dan good dance in theaters and good movement in theater far more. Um, and also just in general, I'm happier to see it. Now theater is... Uh, Sometimes it's just like talking heads again, two or, people on stage yeah. again. Or like bad, bad theater and dance. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it goes both ways, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. One of the things that's in interesting about The Fringe is that you see a lot of one-man shows with very little production value. You know, there's like one man and a chair and a water bottle on stage, and that's what you get. Um, and, you know, the story and the writing can be incredible and amazing, but if their personality doesn't grab you, if their actual execution doesn't grab you, then what is there to watch? Whereas if there is a one single person dance show with little production value other than music and lighting and a single person on stage, there is, I, I feel... I, I take just as much from the narrative of body and movement um, that I would from, like, you know, a T.J. Daw show where he does his, his master monologues, right? Yeah. Um, but that's something that I don't know. I feel like uh, as someone who just... I, I like dancing. I don't like... I, you know, I don't do it professionally. I don't do it even for recreation that much anymore. But just, like, you know, going out and dancing and, like, feeling feeling the body and knowing what the body's movements do and just like witnessing someone dancing and having a great time like in that toy guns show um it has an ex exceedingly long ridiculous name but uh it's it was a very good show with thousands of pillows in it um yeah three yeah 300 is that oh my god um it was, uh, you know, it was insane, but the, the dancers were super physical. They had an amazing time. I've never actually seen a dance show that I wanted to be in so badly. And, and you know, just, but, but so, and there was no narrative, really. But I didn't need one. I still had, like, the best time I had in a, in a fringe audience seat that I've ever had in, you know, in quite some time, actually. So... I, th I think that there's like a range of experiences to be had, um, just like there is in theater. You can have, you know, your sort of like fluffy, really super fun things, or you can have like some pretty dense, theatrical, um, meaningful, meaningful work as well. And and it takes a little bit of a different audience member to enjoy each of those. Um, I think working in theater, we've all seen the insane success of of you know like musicals, family friendly musicals, and things. And it always kind of like busts us a little bit when something that's a little bit more challenging and a little bit more dark 
uh, doesn't always grab the public's attention. And I think that in the same way, dance um, and dancers also should have the same expectations of audience that it is it is not everyone who who will actually like those really really challenging shows. So uh, an interesting question I have for 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 you is maybe um, once because the more dance you see, the more you are gonna get it right. The more you, yeah. you will understand, the more you have this history around uh, your understanding what of what dance is and what the community is. Are they gonna fire you and replace you with somebody else who doesn't know anything about dance? Fonda, are you? <laughs> Are you going to kick me out? Um, 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 yeah, that's that's an excellent point. But I think um, what I'm hoping as we continue, and I, absolutely, even by, by the end of one season, I sort of have more of a sense of, in quote, how to talk about dance in, in a sort of traditional way. But I guess the challenge for me... Um, as the dumb one in this in this in this situation is to is to sort of find that um, a way of talking about dance that isn't that way. And even if I sort of know uh, what the approach should be, like what is another way I can put it that's different that um, that offers uh, a different audience um, the same vision uh, idea, or like what's a visual? What, how can I talk about how can I talk about an inherently visual medium in an inherently audio format, right? With a podcast, just finding the way to sort of bridge that, and and things that are easier sort of images to to talk about and conjure um, than than trying to be like very technically precise about dance and the the terms. That that's what where Fonda comes in. She's got that, but I, I can be I can happily be the dumb one. Well, I think. I think that what we really enjoy about the conversations that we do have on the podcast um, is is the dynamic and is the difference uh, that we have. And I think that we will always try and maintain the spirit of it. And eventually, if you get so good with reviewing dance, Paul, maybe we'll have to find another art form that like I know way less about. And then you can, you know, uh, come in and, and be the pro. Not that I'm a pro. We'll just scratch that. But, um, yeah, I, I just think that it, it's, it's interesting to have, like, a, a, a dichotomy to work from. And we're not, we're not the same. We're not really coming from the same ground with it. Um, and and it, it makes for a pretty enjoyable conversation. And we hope that people listen and enjoy as well. Well, it's also interesting the direction that that, that will take over, you know, episode after after episode as you get more and more comfortable with it it's it's an interesting thing to follow that evolution of of knowledge and of of um awareness and of comfort and, and just like i don't get it but that's okay you know well yeah there's some growth right and i think one of the things that is really amazing to see in someone who starts watching dance and then eventually uh, eventually gets to a point where they don't have to get it. It's like this, you know, like eureka moment sometimes. I think the secret of I don't get it is it doesn't matter if I get it or not. You can still enjoy a piece of, of, of dance or, or theater and not not understand it in, in a like a narrative sense, which is how we tend to think, but you can still be affected emotionally by it because there'll be an arc, there'll be a change, there'll be a growth in whatever sort of character is being portrayed on a stage. And that's something that will always come through. If it's done well, it'll come through, uh, no matter how, um, how alien the art form is to you. Same with visual art, you know, same with... Uh, with improv, same with theater, same with with any other sort of form of of entertainment that people can watch for 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 pleasure or for deeper thought. You know, it's with poetry or philosophy. It's the exact same thing. It'll come through. 
moving off of what Stephanie's setting up, there's also the references that you start to gain and that you can you can refer back to other works you've seen and compare and kind of start to categorize things, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, a, like a pretty consistent question in my mind about categorizing uh, dance, specifically when we're talking about contemporary dance, because that that is such a broad term, and there are so many different kind of styles within that, and there are things that I like and don't like, and that's the same for everybody. And I'm constantly questioning whether or not it's worth it to kind of have some way to better guide the general public where they should be going for what would be interesting to them so that they don't see a show that's in the contemporary dance category that is not jiving with what they want to see. Um, interesting. Okay, yeah, cool. Um, I, uh, uh, I find um, one thing that we typically do is we... Our episodes are fairly stream of consciousness. We'll sort of meet and talk and have a beer um, before them, but we don't um, uh, we don't uh, we don't really plan out beat by beat what we're going to talk about. We sort of know some points we want to hit, mostly that we gain from just discussing with each other, and then we just sort of have at her. Um, and we I don't think we've ever done more than two takes. We usually just do it in one take, and it's sort of what comes out in the moment in in this conversation and whatever is exciting us to keep talking about. And, I, you know, we kind of try to sort of shy away from the more, like, technical uh, vocabulary and things like that. I mean, I know I, I like, do sometimes go into the history of a certain group um, or, or a certain style. Um, and, and that, I feel, is, like, a, a bonus. That's a thing that we want to do. I think that can be add sort of an, an educational component, in a sense, and sort of a context, rather. Like, education yeah. makes it sound awful. But, like, just that can help someone appreciate it. Yeah, you want to provide context, but I also always think that, you know, like, I never like coming away from something, you know, whether it's an article or a magazine or a podcast or something like that, thinking that I didn't learn anything. So if we do actually are, you know, do that for, for someone, then, then I feel that's great. So we try and provide that sometimes, um, but we don't get too bogged down in it. I think that still the conversations that we have are very honest and real and, and like you say, real time. We don't, we don't get really academic about anything. Yeah, I think the the hope is that we approach it more emotionally than intellectually. It's just like, this is what I felt about this now. Huh. And then the greater context can sort of come. It's actually quite similar as to the, the free flow of, of question, kind of action-reaction, you know? A question leading to another and then another. And, and um, us, ourselves, as far as planning the, the podcast, we invite somebody. We'll maybe do a bit of research on their bio so that we can lead up and, and know where they're coming from. But other than that, it's really, you know, the conversation lets itself flows wherever it would like to go and of course sometimes we need to bring it back because we get distracted by I don't know being at the beer tent or needing another drink um, but yeah so it, it's it's nice to see that we have this similar kind of um, direction you know of how things how things work yeah it's nice to be a little bit more sort of natural in that way and in terms of categorization and um, a responsibility for letting audiences know and in on something um, maybe before a show. Um, I do think there are there are certain forms of contemporary dance, like we have some Butoh performers in Edmonton, um, you know, that you want to you be able to kind of give like a context for that. But should you know what Butoh is or if it even matters before you go and see a show and buy the ticket? No. Um, I don't think that that's that important. You should be able to walk in and see a show, especially at the Fringe. Um, 
and and just you know enjoy it for what it is. I've noticed that a few of the fringe shows that are definitely dance shows have actually labeled themselves as physical theater. And I think that that's an important distinction to make as well because physical theater, there's an implied narrative um, or that you're going to see something that is theatrical and has more maybe production value in it. Yeah. Um, but I also, I, I also do, I see the point about categorization, but with contemporary dance, it's so, it is so broad and it is actually very difficult for me even to like understand how the categorization even works now. Like, you know, when, when I went and learned about modern dance history, modern dance, way back when it was still called <laughs> modern dance, you know, you learn about, like, Martha Graham and Laban and, and uh, Pina Bausch and, like, all these things. And is there is there anyone that you would actually categorize in those similar ways now? Not really. You can say that someone derives a style, maybe, or is similar, or has remnants of it, but I don't... Um, I, d I don't think that, that it ex categorization exists in the same way that it used to. Right. And I, I think uh, things like physical theater and these terms that sprung up, uh, spring up as sort of like secret codes for dance or whatever comes from, um, <laughs> yeah. comes from bad criticism in a way. It comes from people not knowing how to talk about something just emotionally. And because what is physical theater is those two terms together gives you a sort of vague idea of what it is, but is still a totally abstract concept. Um, and it sounds smart, and people want to, to feel like smart, I guess, to an extent. Yeah. Um, they sort of want to chase those ideas. Of, but it's, to me, uh, more rewarding and more enriching uh, if you talk more about, like, what, what is the movement? Instead of using those sort of, like, vague, generalized terms, like, how specific can you get? Um, yeah. Which can be way more intriguing to, to someone from the outside. Uh, that's what I find anyways. It's a really, really interesting thing because when we uh, were doing paperwork and all of that of, of what what is our show, what genre is our show, the one that we, we're bringing here that we're pre presenting uh, right now in Edmonton at the Fringe, um, and we, or we, I decided to put it as performance poetry because I was like contemporary dance and it was really that. It was a, being scared that of, of that criticism of it not necessarily being contemporary dance or not necessarily being physical theater and and the poet more of a perf, like poet poetic experience um, so yeah I think that's something I actually struggle myself as a choreographer when presenting my own work of not necessarily wanting to stamp it as dance because personally right when something feels too dancey mm -hmm. I'm doing little bunny ears dancey um, I'm like, no, scratch that. We need to do something else, right? So it's, it's, it's a really interesting thing that I, I personally struggle with myself. Yeah. Sure. For me, it's like, what's the funnest way you could explain this? What would you tell, like, your best friends about this thing? They'd be like, yeah, it's, it's this, you know? See a bunch of people twirl really fast, and it'll blow your mind. Or can we just categorize the show as pillow fight? Massive pillow fight. You know, that makes me want to come see a show. <laughs> Hearing there's going to be a huge pillow fight on stage, it's like, all right, I'm in. Like, there's my, there's my 12 bucks. <laughs> and I think that's another thing, too, is that you just, I mean, there is a massive pillow fight dance show. We've already mentioned it. This is Toy Gun Show at the Fringe. And it, it is a huge learning lesson, I think, for not only dancers, but any artist to actually realize the best way to talk about your show is to make someone want to go see it. And that doesn't mean not labeling it as dance. But it means actually just saying, this is what I do in the show, and that's what it is. Right. I know, Fonda, as, as when you're interviewing 
uh, dancers um, for the paper. Otherwise, you typically ask, what are we going to see in this show? What are the details that we're going to see in the show? Because those sort of give more... Um, more uh, appropriate, more accessible uh, answers. They give they they sort of open that way. Whereas, like sometimes dancers get stuck in like, okay, what's the grant application way of talking about this? Like, whereas you can go like, oh, this is the fun way of talking about this. This is the like the most interesting to a general audience way of talking. Because the this. grant application usually decides what it's going to be, yes. right? Because us um, with with Ian Ferry, who we're working with presently, the the poet and the spoken word artist, he's got a lot more experience and chances of getting accepted as a grant application and that's definitely main reason that performance poetry or that this is more of a spoken word performance mm -hmm. and then right when we're doing something that's more dance related it's like no this is completely a dance show so it's that, that direction and, and money kind of okay we'll go this way or this is the multidisciplinary work because we can maybe get $500 here and it's, and it's an interesting thing that kind of unfortunately uh, gives a direction to our work uh, because we need money Okay, so well, let me turn this question on you now. Um, you have a show at the Fringe. We've seen it. You've gone through development on it. Um, for for a lay audience member walking into the show, what are they going to see? They'll see a dark room. <laughs> <laughs> um, they'll they'll see definitely. Uh, I think the first image you see is is the poet, who is. Um, in very dim lighting and, and starts playing and then all of a sudden there's a suspended light which is an important uh, cast member in our show because the, the light almost becomes a performer uh, throughout the performance um, that twirls with us uh, we manipulate the space it, it carves, it sculpts the space creating different effects um, so I think that's kind of the, the, the main thing is probably that suspended light that um, kind of has a mind of its own and and as far as is the for the creative process of it it represents the moon since we're talking about the the tides and all of that and that being the my magnetic pull for the movement or for for the feel or for the the overall image um so i think that it kind of comes down to light and the body that's why we're called for body and light <laughs> <laughs> Boom, and you have you have three female dancers in the performance, um, and they're oh, sort yeah. of. We also have dancers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're you're scored you're scored not only by um, a, a spoken word poet with uh, with music. Um, he's playing guitar and in a looping machine, I think. But it, you're also scored by this interesting pendant light that you all manipulate and use and then there's water of course that enters the show at the end so I'm just kind of curious as to what sort of um, what was the inspiration for actually uh, making a show about the tide and and this kind the, the themes that you're working with yeah it was kind of kind of all it was very random and then suddenly we were we were invited to um, do a residency in Parsboro Nova Scotia and I'd never been to Nova Scotia before um, so we're in this small ghost town where there's probably about 200 people who live there in the summer and then in the winter probably under a hundred this small ghost town and we were staying in this abandoned um, post office that was refurnished and rebuilt as uh, an artist space so we were we were sleeping on the third floor the second floor was our studio and then the first floor was like a farmer's market more of a community place where people would come and we'd have dinner with people and then we would just do site-specific work and research uh, developing movement based on the tides coming in and out and like just being completely terrified we're like oh my god our bags are floating away get back get back and it's just the power of that and once we got there we're like 
everything's moving around us. The, the water and, and that being so much more powerful than, than what we were doing that I didn't want to dance at all. And I think that's where I moved away from, from it being more movement specific, even though it, it is. But um, I think I felt less the need to put in a bunch of dance, right? It was more just about being present and, and letting the, that water and the, the, the surroundings kind of take control because you don't have a choice when there's like thousands and thousands of tons of water coming in you know you either run for your life or you stay there and drown um and there's something interesting about that relationship with nature yeah sure uh did you see any ghosts in this ghost town were there any like moments where you're like our bags moved what happened (laughs) i was hoping actually because this post office was was abandoned for for over 40 years um and we were kind of the first people to start establish this space and and create something in it and we actually had a showing at the end of the week where everybody gathered in the community and we filled we filled the place up and they came and saw what we created on their homeland um so it was a really interesting relationship and there's there's a basement really sketchy basement um i went there a few times hoping to find ghosts but but nothing nothing okay (laughs) well that's i guess that's okay yeah way back at the beginning we were talking about uh what's going on in montreal and I just uh, wanted to to give two cents on that as I've been pondering it. And the the thing about Montreal is that there's always an opportunity to perform. There's always an opportunity to present. As Steph was saying, there's all these classes. There's all these places to train, to learn, to take workshops. Um, the audience happens to be all of the, the same people that are doing all of those things. Uh, Steph was talking about the niches. And uh, we have a serious lack of people general public people coming out to see shows and I think that's a huge part of what we're talking about now and what you're trying to change and what I think we're trying to change as well and I think for me I don't even know where to begin with with all of that and I don't know that if it's just a Montreal problem or a Canadian problem sure um, one thing I've found interesting, um, that sometimes can be the feel here in, in theater. It's sort of everyone's passing the same 15 bucks around, depending on um, on the production. We say, we say 10 bucks in Ooh, Montreal. Okay, wow. Yeah. Oh, man. We got, we got 15 in Edmonton. Yeah, um, We have a better economy here. <laughs> Uh, uh, but um, but one thing I've I've had conversations with theater artists about trying to expand their audiences, and you know, some of them say you know they'll they'll talk to a cab driver who's driving them. It's like, oh, do you ever come see theater? Uh, no, I did. Uh, I did when I was at home in a different country. But um, not that all cab drivers are from different countries, but but sometimes. <laughs> um, but and they would say, you know, in, uh, I would go see theater in other places, but I don't because they're not really telling my stories. Um, they're not telling stories that are relevant to me. Um, and so I think that's sometimes a question and, and an issue in art across in dance, in theater, and other in visual arts, is we sort of start just talking to ourselves and our stories grow insular and we're not looking at other stories and stories that audiences want to hear told and audience uh, things that uh, maybe aren't... Uh, immediately apparent to us, but then it's our job to go find those stories and, and bring them into the work we're doing, which will then bring an audience in, hopefully. Um, but but if you don't feel like your story is going to be told on stage in an abstract or a little literal way, um, you're you're probably not going to come. Uh, and, you know, that's one thing in theater. We're talking narratives and we're talking written stories. Um, but even in dance, if we don't make that, like, 
those sort of emotions and the, the ideas that are being explored and struggled with uh, in, inclusive and, and bringing people in and people's stories that aren't necessarily part of the community um, often, uh, then, then those audiences aren't ever going to be intrigued enough to, to give it a shot, I feel. Yeah, I have to agree. I think one of the most interesting things that I've seen in Edmonton, because I'm not only a big fan of contemporary dance, I'm also a really big fan of cultural dance and world dance. Um, some of the largest dance audiences that I've seen in Edmonton are actually for Southeast Asian and Indian dance um, or for Ukrainian which dance. Which rules, by the way, which was like <laughs> mind-blowing to watch. Um, so cool and just something that I had no like framework for at all, but was just like, that guy can spin so fast, so crazy and in different ways. Yeah, Paul saw his first Katak dance show this year, which was fantastic and loved it. And now I know I can bring him to more Indian dance, which is great because <laughs> um, I've always really enjoyed it. Um, I do think that we have to um, broaden our scope a little bit. It's not just about the Western perspective and about Western style movement. It can be about a lot of things. Uh, and you know, also incorporating more theater and, you know, sometimes maybe even a little bit of narrative, but in an interesting way. Um, I think that that's important for, for opening the door for audience and not just our kind of like usual suspect audience for, for a lot of different type of audience as well. Something else I'm very uh, excited by and I feel like a pusher is, is the idea of, of everybody dancing and trying dance. And I think we've had the joy of, of meeting a few people who... Um, discover dance later in life and have like been transformed by it and and how I love talking to those people and how I love spreading the word about that and and I just yeah I feel like a yogi or something like that it's like oh my god try this green tea I don't know just it, it just <laughs> I want everybody to experience uh moving and the benefits of moving and I don't know if you, if you have uh, a relationship with that. I know that you, you well, are both not currently moving. It's something that um, other cultures, especially Eastern cultures, are a lot more versed in than we are. You know, you have yogis and Tai Chi masters who are moving well into their 80s or 90s sometimes. And in Western culture, we kind of reach this age of, I don't know, 32 and stop moving. And it's, you know, or stop moving for enjoyment and you only move for fitness. <laughs> so it's it's something that I think is a, is a cultural value that, you know, it doesn't have to be fast and virtuosic, but it can still be like, you know, beautiful and meaningful, even if it is slow and traditional. Right. I think people forget how to play in general as they get older. Um, uh, which doesn't so much happen in the, the arts community, but I've found I teach improv classes with a company in town called Rapid Fire Theater, and we get a spectrum of people from, from people just in high school to people in their 60s, and they have the most joy when they sort of realize they have permission to just have fun and to, to maybe look foolish, or whatever that means, but that it's not a bad thing, that, that failure is process, because we're, we're all afraid of being laughed at, and we're all afraid of being seen as not good in this thing. And when you realize it's okay if you're just if you're just having fun and you're giving it your, your best and these are things people even from the outside appreciate um, even if they don't have a context even if you don't have training you go so like man that guy's having the most fun um, you know and that's something we forget how to do uh, which is, is a damn tragedy I guess I definitely feel like I've, I'm personally a victim of that kind of thinking as well like having taken a big break from dance and returning to it and having so much stress and pressure about just taking a class with people that might see me take a class and it's like why is this so 
uh, separate and why is this such a big deal and why can't uh, you know once you once you start talking to people everybody has a relationship to dance whether it be when they were younger or when they go to the clubs or in their kitchen when like, everyone's alone they put on music and they rock out in some way right yeah. why is that shameful mm-hmm. it's not it's not uh, especially if you're taking a class you know um, that that's you're in the student role like the point is you're there to learn something but you're to, there to try something and those are um, those are uh, wonderful things, and I think we just forget that it's okay to put yourself in that position and be like, yes, I'm here to learn. And that means I'm going to make mistakes. I've never tried this before, or I have, but it's been a long time. And so it's not going to be, you know, performance-worthy. But that's okay, because it's, it's not performance. It's for me. You know, it's for learning. It's for, for bettering myself just as a, the person I want to be, uh, whether that means keeping movement or in your life or, or, or whatever. If it means learning slam poetry in your 30s, you know, these are, all, these are all the same thing. It's just being okay with going back to, like, being the learner. Yeah. As far as, um, yeah, as far as that, that barrier of, of wanting to dance and, and, not, and not actually doing it, or do, do you guys feel like you, you want to maybe create something? You see all this work, and you talk about it, and you ask questions about it. Is, it, is there, you know, somewhere back in the back of your mind, do you, would you like to create something physical, uh, a dance piece of, of some sort? Is there, maybe, maybe this podcast is kind of lighting that flame of wanting to be creative in that way as the people you're, you're interviewing? Well, um, you know, I, like, I, st- I, I have had a hiatus from dancing for a long time, and, ta- and writing about it has kind of like filled that void because you know, my trade is generally more of a writer than a dancer, but I do think that it would be a total blast one day to maybe go back and take like a simple bar class and see how, see how we do. <laughs> um, or, you know, just, just for the enjoyment of it again. Um, whether or not I'd actually put myself up to performing, I, well, you know, it would take some convincing. And, and wine probably but I would do it I'd give it a shot right, you know Paul, Paul does Paul does <laughs> performance all the two. time so yeah but yeah sure yes yes I would I've seen dance and been like man I, I wish I could do that and then in my mind I go you could go do that maybe not professionally but you could go do it there are classes available um, and so it's just it's just crossing that hurdle of being like wow I saw this thing that affected me and made me want to learn how to do that because it affected me um, and then actually doing that, finding the class, uh, you know, and doing that, which sometimes there can be budgetary issues with, um, but sometimes not. Sometimes there's, there's sort of uh, uh, inexpensive alternatives, you know, where people volunteer their time and, or it's not that much of a cost or you just make it a priority and it's like, yeah, I'm going to pay, you know, 60 bucks for this dance class or, you know, 300 bucks for this four-week dance class, but it's going to be something that uh, will make me happier, so why wouldn't I do it? I guess I kind of see it the same way that I see theater. It's with this like this this sort of ultimate respect that I've I've seen amazing productions. I've seen amazing work of both dance and theater and I just kind of know that like I want those amazing experiences to resonate in my mind and I don't necessarily want to know all the crap they have to go through to get there all the time. Sometimes I do like to just actually be an audience member and appreciate how wonderfully something has been done. Do you um, find that hard when you when you go into a show and you need to review it and you have that kind of switch on your mind of, of analyzing and, and observing and taking notes? Um, 
how is there a switch that exists? I know it's something that I personally struggle with of just watching something to watch it and enjoy it as to watch something to write about it and, and, and rate it or, or say what works and what doesn't work or what could have been. Or just taking mental notes so you know how to talk about it on the podcast yeah, afterwards. Yeah, yeah there, there's that. Yes, there is a switch for sure. Um, I find that I've, you know, this fringe is the first fringe in my eight years that I have not actually written reviews um, and I've been I've seen a few of the dance shows and I've just I felt like a little bit more relaxed in that I don't need to find a way to describe that movement I can just take it in and enjoy it um, and and so that there's definitely a switch there that, that I feel because where um, is it I must find dan- it well dance is one of those things that is actually very difficult to put into words sometimes because really what really the magic of it is is that you see a movement you have an emotional response and and that's and that's beautiful and it's magical and right? so that's that's all you need to say though like that's what you need to it's like how would you describe this to your friend who knows nothing about dance like what's well like anytime I do an interview anytime I do criticism that's one of my first thoughts is like okay well what were the if a friend was like so how was that show um, and I wasn't going to talk to them on like a we we're critics level um, it would be like well uh, you know a dude did some spins there was a huge pillow fight it was awesome you know um, <laughs> those sorts of things like those are the details that are ins um, for, for writing often and then you can build more sort of complicated or, or uh, a depthful which is not a real word, um, uh, conversations and ideas around that. But if you start with just like, what were the, the, what were the moments in that show that resonated with me and what happened in them? And then you can just start to unpack why, you know. And even with, with things uh, that, that are, you're not a fan of, things you see that you aren't interested in um, or that didn't affect you, you say, well, well, why didn't that affect me? What was going on? What were, they, what were they trying to do and why do I think that didn't resonate with me? Was it uh, a skill issue was it the fact that it's it's not my story? It's not something that intrigues me. Um, is it? Uh, yeah. Was it? Yeah. There's just those are the reasons. Like those are some of the reasons. And um, just trying to identify those, but starting with just being like, okay, well, this is how I felt about that. Why did I feel about that? You know, this is what these are the things for better or worse that stood out for me. Why did I? Why did they stand out for me? And just unpacking from there. Like the the framework I try and use in everything is is what were they trying to do? Uh, did they succeed, and was it worth it? Because um, you can, you can do a you know a, 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 a you know a 16th century comedy, and it, you can hit all the beats, and it can still be a boring hour of everyone's time, right? Or you can do something that's you know sloppy but fun and so intriguing because of that. Like, but just sort of like looking at all of those in an isolated way can help, I think. I feel like the 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 state and the 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 performer, it, well, the performers themselves could kind of be contagious in that way, if they're up there enjoying themselves, like this pillow fight. You know, everyone loves a pillow fight. It's it's kind of conta- contagious in that way, and you can sense that they're genuinely having fun and enjoying themselves. Um, so yeah, that's definitely something that that stands out. Yeah, there's sort of like a visceral reaction that you have to a show whether you're a reviewer or not. And I think that you have, as, as a, as someone who's, I don't know, I would hesitate to say a good reviewer, again, bunny ears that no one can see. Um, I think that those visceral reactions have to be there and honest for a good reviewer too. Yeah, uh, as someone who does criticism, nothing drives me up the wall more than someone who's trying to sound like a critic. It's like, just say what you felt and say what you thought. Um, any 
review Roger Ebert wrote, um, which is film and seems like it would have nothing to do with dance or this criticism, but the way he talks about things is it just like it introduces these ideas in a way and he's not trying to sound highfalutin or educated or knowledgeable on the subject. He's just talking to you about like, here's what happened. Yeah, it's very honest. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and, and that can translate to any medium and talking about any medium. It's just like, just be honest with what you saw and start there with just the pure surface level. This is what I saw. This is what happened. Fonda is a good critic. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> but also, I do, I do think that there is that tough balance where you have an honest response, and maybe it's not a great one or a, or a positive one, and you have to find a way to say that sometimes delicately. Uh, and that, and that is another another thing about you know reviewing things in a close knit community that I think is a is a challenge in in a lot of ways. Sure. Just for an example, there was a Fringe show a couple of years ago um, that happened, uh, and uh, one of my reviewers called me at like one in the morning. It had just let out, and she was like, "I saw this show, and I hated it, but half of the audience gave it a standing ovation, and a couple people walked out. What do I do?" And it's like, well, okay, you have to be honest. Like this is what you felt. You can't let the rest of the audience sway that, but you should acknowledge that that happened and try and figure out why there was this disconnect between you and half of the people watching, you know, and the people who walked out as well, who obviously as well didn't enjoy it. But why was that? What, um, what was it that, that didn't connect with you that so clearly resonated with, with them? Um, and that's sort of uh, what, how you can frame that in sort of a difficult way, I think, is when you're in that situation of like, I didn't get it, but everyone else did. Like, oh, I'm dumb. It's like, no, no, you just felt a different way about a thing. And, you know, Art, art is subjective and affects us all in different ways, and that's cool. That's great. It should. We shouldn't all have the exact same response, you know? I like it when there are differences of reviews because it just means there's a more interesting conversation going on about whatever that piece is. If something is five stars across the board, yeah, it's probably pretty good, but also it's like all you're going to read is just like praise, you know, like bland praise about this thing where it's more interesting when someone's like, here's, I didn't get it, and here's why and then you can sort of dive into that and it's that gives a better spectrum of discussion around art i think yeah those are the, always the most interesting shows where the reviews are split one paper gives it one or two stars and the other one gives it five and you just you know that there's something interesting going on whether or not it's actually what the reviewers are talking about there's something there's some split of consciousness there that is that is great and yeah so and that's the beauty of things like the fringe is that you get like a whole like bucket of things that are that you know some people like and some people don't and and there's a lot of opportunity to like or hate something and sometimes the shows that I've hated the most have actually been very good shows but they still evoked a very strong reaction and and that's important too and and with it just social media being so present I feel like everybody's kind of become a critic everyone could you know share their opinion everybody could um, kind of break that wall of, of creating a relationship with between a performer and audience member um, and uh, I know at the Montreal Fringe they have this thing Fringe Buzz where right after a show you can hashtag Fringe Buzz and write your own review no matter who you are and I think that's a very important tool because you know we're creating work we're not creating work necessarily for the critics maybe sometimes for once again the grant applications which are super important um, but um, you know, we, we perform for, for the audience, for the audience member, for anybody who's either uh, used to seeing dance or not. And, and having that dialogue is super important because you, you get that feedback and you get that, that, that dialogue that, that kind of makes the work worthwhile. 
Yeah, and, and the, the opportunity for people, anyone, to be able to comment on art, uh, I think with social media now, um, is really important. And we're kind of entering a bit of a new, a new era um, in terms of how people experience and how people share their thoughts about things. And um, I do think that it's very important to have a multitude of voices when you're talking about any art or anything. Um, is, is the multitude too much? So, you know, sometimes it gets tough, but... <laughs> right, right, for sure. Um, and I think, um, I think there's something to be said for the idea, there's still the idea of a critic, not to put it in like the ivory tower, but like to have a voice you trust, you know, whether that's just someone on Twitter or or um, or someone who's a uh, you know a paid critic who goes and sees things for a, a major outlet, um, you'll find there are people who sort of see art in a similar way to you, and you'll find there are people who see art in ways that aren't the same as you. The hard part about today is there's so many more people um, who are having the conversation in small pockets um, on blogs on Twitter. Um, and it's not very unified. Um, and that can sort of dilute the strength of criticism, I think. Yeah, because everyone could have a blog. Everybody could be writing a review. There isn't some kind of like, okay, I have my license. Now I'm allowed reviewing shows. Mm-hmm. Anybody could have that kind of control or that power, which is kind of terrifying, but also great because it it allows um, anybody who knows about dance or doesn't know about dance or whatever it is they're watching to to have that that bridge in and 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 feel like well this is this is what i thought of it yeah i mean so yeah exactly like so they don't have a license so no one gets a license to be a critic or to review so what you know like there there shouldn't have to be a license there should be i i think and this is a strong point that i have there has to be some onus on the artist to actually make their work accessible um, and and I'm not talking that you have to like dumb things down or make them flashy and pretty all the time or anything like that. But you do have to be accountable for people that are paying for a ticket to your show. You have to be able to give them something that they can walk away with and and ruminate on or or you know sit on or whatever. It there there has to be something that you know you're offering to an to an audience member that just walked in off the street that is not. You know, something that only your close-knit circle of friends who went to dance school would get. Um, or And that goes for anything, really. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I feel that um, I agree with that, but I also kind of disagree at the same time because I it's an interesting question. And, and when we record Dirty Feet, I feel like it's something that comes, out quite, qu- comes up quite often. Uh, who are you creating work for, right? Are you creating work to feel put butts in your seats? Are you creating work to make money off of it? creating work to um, make the the grant application kind of go through? Are you creating work for yourself? Is it therapeutic? So I feel like every artist kind of has their own reason for why they're doing something. And and that changes everything also. Sure, yeah. And I think, um, and I think though, expectations have to be sort of, uh, have to be aware of that. If you're creating work that's very personal for you, it might not translate to a lot of people. Um, and that's there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but you have to realize that unless people have a way into what you're doing, um, they're probably not going to come or yeah. they might not enjoy it. It comes it, which... back to what you were saying about being honest. Yeah. If you're honest about what the show is about, what the show is, and then you don't really owe anything else other than, than just doing what it is you said you would be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, And then it, it's interesting when you say uh, people who are coming off the street, just kind of, you know, people are just like like a drop in class, right? 
where you haven't been there all week, you're not necessarily aware of what's going on, whether it's a dance class or the creative process of a show you're going to see. And then it just, uh, you just kind of got to dive in and, and take it for what it is. Right. I mean, uh, the like we're at the fringe. Um, we we review shows at the fringe. Theater gets reviewed. Um, the sheer size of the fringe makes the star rating system sort of a necessity um, because that's what people want to know. What should I see? And you know they they rate it in these ways. And it's it shouldn't be the only thing people look at. Often it is. Um, the rest of the year at View, we don't do the star rating for when we talk about theater or dance. We don't. It's just not part of it. We want the words to matter. We want the arguments to matter. We want when we we want to be able to sort of talk about a show and not just have someone glance and be like, oh, three stars, which you know is not a bad show. That can be a really interesting show to some audiences, but maybe yeah, isn't accessible in the same way, doesn't have those same ends, or is, is isn't quite there in certain ways. But. Um, if you just write it off as a three-star show, then you're not you're not really getting into that conversation about why you know about why it works or doesn't you know and and who it would appeal to or not, um, which I think is an important conversation to focus on more so than like was it good was it bad it is like the the blandest way of looking at anything. I just wanted to say that I've never participated in a podcast where so many of us are so eager to speak in the microphone it's pretty exciting i guess this is what cool. happens when you get four hosts together paul and i talk all the time <laughs> like for hours about this really <laughs> yeah no, it's it's something i mean especially just like the act of reviewing and the the whole like crux of reviewing performing arts uh and and being a critic and also being fair um and also knowing that we both really love this community and we love the performing artists here um just doing the podcast and being able to talk about some of the stuff that's happening is a great privilege and um, we're happy that we get to do it and we enjoy it and I you know I just hope that there's more opportunity for like the format to continue we want to go see dance kind of across Canada and we'll see like if we can kind of like broaden our scope a bit because I do think that um, the review is important and it doesn't happen a lot especially with dance because the runs are generally so so short um so i think that you know it, it would be great to go out and see more outside of edmonton um but for now i mean there's a lot of cool stuff that ends up coming here so we're pretty good <laughs> i guess i just want to pair at the idea that i i feel very privileged to be participating in a dance podcast to have this opportunity to speak about dance. Paul, like you were saying earlier, to challenge uh, ourselves and our interviewees to verbalize what it is about their work that is interesting and, and just to really understand it a little bit better. And what uh, Stephanie was saying earlier about meeting people and kind of being, have, being having the privilege of picking people's brains and really kind of getting inside their artistic process. It's, it's a real joy to be doing this work and you guys should totally come visit us in Montreal someday. Oh, yeah. Let us yes. sleep on your couch. Sweet. Let's party. We will bring the blanket fort and we will make a blanket fort in your apartment in Montreal. Context. Fantastic. This is how you guys record your, your podcast. Yes. Yeah. We, we, we take Fonda's kitchen table and we move it into a living room and then we put two blankets over it so it's got a nice sound chamber and then there's, there's a recorder at one end and then we just sort of like sink down with our beers and, and sit on the floor and talk about it. It's the best. It's the best. We actually built a blanket for a bl blanket fort out of a tent here at the Expanse Festival during March. Um, I think that they may actually build us a better fort next year. It was pretty small. It was a pretty small tent, but we had a weird little tent on site at this dance festival that we got to like sit inside and like invite artists into. And at one point, like 
do a play-by-play of a dance show, like back and forth, watching it happen. Because there was like lobby installations, and so we were quietly like, oh, and this is, and yes, they're moving now. Quiet, quiet, interesting, interesting. He's coming towards us. He's coming towards us. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah but yeah. We don't quite have a fort, but we've been really um, thankful to have Montreal Improv, who's been offering us the space. So we have the space that we can kind of be in and and do those interviews. But I think we can make a fort in the space. That would seems pretty great. <laughs> That's the way. Let all dance podcasts be done in a fort from here on in. <laughs> and and now, right while we're on the road, we're kind of meeting at beer tents like this, or or in a park, or and that's kind of been lovely too because it adds this casual very laid back free flow which is the direction that we like to take with the podcast yeah i have the feeling that we could be at this all night if we let ourselves but perhaps we should probably just call it in and get more beer i think that's Mm. a good plan so let's get some websites out because you guys have an amazing podcast that i've i've heard a couple episodes including your expanse episode which was great uh and you guys are I don't get it. Yes, we are. I don't get it. We are based in Edmonton, Alberta. I'm Fonda. I'm Paul. We won a social media award for doing this podcast, the thing called the Yaggies in Edmonton. We won in the, the arts and culture category, which we were we felt very good about just in terms of dance feeling often like it's cornered in a niche, but it's sort of one in the broader context, which I think means this conversation is important to have. Yeah. And so our website is idongetitdance.com. You can follow us on Twitter at idongetitdance. Um... Yeah. You can subscribe on iTunes to our podcast. Um, and just, yeah, follow our Facebook page as well. We kind of put, we, you've posted up some photo galleries there and yep. stuff like that. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we like to try and be active with social media. Our producer, Andrew Paul, is really uh, helpful and, and cool with that. So, um, yeah, just come check us out. And Dirty Feet, gosh, it's been great to have you in Edmonton. What a, what a treat. We are having a ball in Edmonton. Very awesome. And uh, since we're in the bragging mood, uh, we should mention that uh, Dirty Feet was voted the number six best podcast in the 2013 Cult MTL poll. And that's of all the podcasts coming out of the city. So that's pretty cool. And that's also, we're on the same train of thinking that's pretty cool that a dance podcast can do that when we're specifically speaking about this subject every week. Uh, and you can find us at nomoreradio.com slash show slash dirty feet, or you just go to No More Radio, you're going to find it. Or actually, you can even Google dirty feet, because other than the trail series, like a running room kind of thing, we're, we're right up there. So that's pretty cool. Uh, we can also download our podcast off of iTunes, which I think is the same for you guys. So there you go. Just go on iTunes, download a bunch of podcasts. Uh, yeah, we're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're rocking it. Uh, I've been Alison Burns. I'm Stephanie Morin-Robert. I'm Fonda Mithresh. I'm Paul Blinov. And we totally get it. <laughs> cool. We did it! Yes. <laughs> Thank you.
Dirty Feet was previously recorded at the Montreal Improv Theatre and is currently recorded out of Mainline Theatre. Thanks, dudes. Dirty Feet est produit et animé par, produced and hosted by Alison Burns, JD Papillon, et Stéphanie Moret Robert. You can find out more about our show at nomoreradio.com, follow us on Twitter at Dirty Dirty Feet, and find us on Facebook at Dirty Feet Podcast. Vous pouvez écouter tous nos épisodes sur notre site web ou vous pouvez vous abonner également sur iTunes à notre podcast. Listen to past episodes on website or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. While you're there, be sure to give us a rating and or leave a comment to help us spread the word. Tune in next week for a whole new show.